Well, if you've been with us here on Sunday nights, last couple of Sunday nights, we covered a couple of back-to-back passages, and as we did that, as I looked at what came up next, as I said this morning, it's good that we keep things when there is a very definite context to keep them in context. So we're simply going to move uh, now from chapter 16 to chapter 17, because chapter 17, as I've reminded you many times, uh, is not chapter 17 in the original manuscript. It just simply is a continuation of this letter by the Apostle Luke. And so if you turn there to Luke chapter 17, uh, we'll look at the first 10 verses. Huge question. What is ministry? And man, if you go out into the world and you say you go to a college campus and ask that question, or maybe sit out in front of Dodger Stadium and ask that question, or perhaps as we're going to get to, we're going to get to go to the Coliseum and, and go to Rams games, now LA Rams, yeah? So you go out in front of the stadium, the LA Coliseum, and you start asking the incoming Rams fans, uh, what do you think ministry is? You're going to get all manner of answers to that question. And they range from the bizarre and absurd to the almost close to the real. Can I tell you that Jesus actually gives a description really of the heart of ministry in the first 10 verses of chapter 17. And it's a little bit of a strange passage, but it looks back on chapter 16. And so before we get to chapter 17, uh, I want to remind you where we just were And remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And Jesus' response when they asked, when this rich man asked, hey, why don't you send some really important dudes to go talk to my family? He said it this way. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, speaking of Abraham, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. So you can see the heart of the basic ministry that we have while we're here on this earth as believers. We want to bring people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ so that they can avoid the place of torment, right? So this guy is asking for someone to go do ministry at his house where he used to live. And Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. So he says, look, they're already getting ministered to. What are they getting ministered to? By the word, the truth, Moses and the prophets. First five books of the Bible, and the prophetic works which followed after them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. You see, he's talking about ministry. He says, look, this is how you could get to them. This is the way that you could take that message. If if you would take somebody who's, you know, risen from the dead, then surely uh, they'd have an effective ministry to my family. Just take somebody who's risen from the dead. That ought to do it. 
But he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, if they don't hear the word, then neither will they be persuaded, though one would rise from the dead. That's the context of what follows. So notice the next four verses. And then he said to the disciples, it's a direct correlation of thought and idea. It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe unto him through whom they do come. In other words, he's saying people are going to misrepresent the Lord. But woe to those who misrepresent the Lord. Because there is one way and one truth and one life and only one way that one can come to the Father, and that's by Jesus. Amen? John fourteen six. So Jesus is saying, look, if someone rose from the dead, that's actually not going to do it for most people. In other words, he's describing what would it take to really bring the truth to them. It would be far better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck than to offend. And he gives the understanding. If you put a millstone around his neck and threw him into the sea, then that he should offend one of these little ones. And so the context is what does it take to give people the truth of ministry? What is ministry about? What is it that we're trying to convey? What is it that really church is all about? What is it that pastors have been called to do? What is it that you as believers have been called to do once you have received that great grace gift? You've been saved. You've come into that right relationship. What is it that you're supposed to do? You're supposed to then go and minister that same truth. And so he says, take heed for yourselves, for if your brother sins against you, because here's the deal, is there anything harder in this world than forgiveness? I would say there isn't. Of all the things that we can humanly engage in, I don't know that anything's any tougher than forgiving. But nothing is so much like Jesus, amen? Because that's what he came. He came into the world that men might be forgiven of their sins, cleansed of those sins, esponged of the penalty of those sins, which is death, and brought into a right relationship with God the Father. Without forgiveness of sin, your sin remains. There is no salvation. So forgiveness is the central doctrinal point that Jesus makes when he says, Father, it is finished. Because what did he do? He paid the price. Sin's forgiven. Your sins have been blotted out. They're not remembered anymore as far as the east is from the west. So in the Father's eyes, Christ's righteousness has been placed upon you. And so now God the Father sees you pure as Christ the Son. And Jesus has taken your sin. It's forgiveness. Complete and total. And so he makes this case. So take heed to yourself. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. In other words, God requires that we acknowledge our sin. You know, I often get into conversations with people, well, I don't think I need to to repent of anything. If you don't need to repent, that means you don't need forgiveness. If you don't need forgiveness, that means you're either already perfect or you're on a one-way ticket to the place you don't want to go. 
Because you need forgiveness and so do I. Frequently and often. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Aren't you glad for that passage of Scripture? Because there's probably some of us in this room that sinned against the Lord a whole lot more than seven times today. Maybe it was in your mind. Maybe it was in your heart. Maybe it's something that you've been dealing with for a long time in your life. And so the question is, what is ministry? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. And Lord, as we look at what ministry actually is, we pray that you would bless us with your presence here tonight. Fill us with your spirit. Make your word alive. Could we hear and know and be instructed? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, ministry is an interesting question. So I said, my friend here, I, I really love looking at some of the things that people in our world consider ministry. Because to some people, the definition of ministry is any group that's gotten together, filed corporate papers, they've become a 501c3 tax-exempt corporation in the United States of America, and thereby they are a ministry. Uh, Can I tell you that's not exactly what God thinks? The guy that's sitting there before you, his name is Raihu Okawa, and he is the leader of a group called Happy Science. It's a pleasant little religion that teaches about everything in the world. Remember, as we've been studying the book of Revelation, we know that in the last days that there's going to become a one-world religion that will be overseen, in essence, by the Antichrist that will try and draw together every type of faith that there is, and their basic mantra will be that all roads lead to heaven. We call that universalism or salvation that just allows for everybody to be as different as you want. Can I tell you that there's never been a person on this earth that was more solidly against universalism than Jesus Christ? Because he completely decried it himself when he said, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. All roads don't lead to heaven. Matter of fact, all roads except him lead to hell. And so this guy, he now considers himself the incantation and incarnation of a guy called El Cantare. But what he basically teaches is that through love and wisdom and self-reflection and human progress that you yourself can attain to Godhead. You can become part of the cosmic consciousness that, that he believes he's Lord Buddha, he's the Savior, he's the Supreme God, he's the head of all extraterrestrials all over the planet. Uh, he, he is that guy that bridges the gap. And so when people follow him, what they're doing is they're following the very same thing that Jesus was preaching against. He said, suffer that these little ones should come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven, and woe unto him who prevents that from happening. Can I say that some people are children in their minds? Some people are children because they're chronologically children. And some people spiritually are children. Some people are spiritually infants. 
And so God looks at ministry from a very different place than we do in our world. You see, we have all kinds of things that people would qualify as ministry and qualify as religion. Uh, we have the Discordians. They're, they're a neat group. You can go to their office there in San Francisco and you can get your little certificate because they teach that every single person on the planet is actually the Pope. And so you can get one of these nice, so you can print these off the internet and keep them in your wallet in case you want to be, you know, one of the billions of popes. You could join the Temple of Inner Light. And what they basically believe is you get as stoned as you possibly can, uh, take every manner of drug that you can possibly ingest, and then eventually through that disembodied spirit, because your brain is going to explode, um, you're somehow going to see God. People actually join these groups. They think that's actual real ministry. And you could go down this, this list, and it's long. And my personal favorite is actually the, the Church of Jediism. <laughs> this is a new one. Uh, it, it was founded in 2008. Uh, a couple of members got together, and they really believed that, you know, the force is a real thing. And so... Uh, they just decided they'd all get together and base their way of life on Star Wars. Uh, some of them, I think, have actually made it. But this is what people do in their spare time. They think about all these things. It is mind-boggling to me. I, I look at the world and I go, Lord Jesus, it's not that complex. You came that the world through you might be saved. All these other groups don't even promise to save you. They might promise you that you'll become part of the force. You might get a nice Darth Vader costume to wear around or something. I don't know. But Jesus alone declared himself to be God's son and the only way to God the Father. And so as he said those things, he was setting himself apart. He was saying, look, you want real ministry? Here it is. Even some pseudo-Christian groups that many of you know. Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You know them as Mormons as well. They claim to be the only way to God. Only problem is, is they don't believe in the same Jesus. Have a different Jesus. A Jesus is one of God's many sons. And if God has any other sons, then Jesus was a liar. God only has one son. Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. You know them as Jehovah's Witnesses. They're going to come to your, They're going to tell you they're Christians. The only problem is they're going to use their Bible, the New World Translation, which they're the only group on earth that uses it, because it's not an actual translation. It wasn't even translated. It's a fabrication. It's basically a story that they themselves have made up, and yet people believe that they're Christians. They follow them. Hundreds of thousands of people led astray. Jesus said, woe unto them. Probably a whole bunch of you have kind of wondered what in the world John Travolta and Tom Cruise are all about with their Scientology. Scientology comes from a book called Dianetics by L. Ron Hubbard. He was a science fiction author. Matter of fact, the whole story begins with, with a crazy dude named Xenu 
that some 75 million years ago came from 75 planets, brought billions of people to this earth, put them around volcanoes, and then put hydrogen bombs inside the volcanoes and blew everyone up and disembodied their souls. And people believe this is a way to enlightenment, that you can somehow become clear. Somehow I think the gospel is a lot simpler than that. It's believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. I'm about ready to shoot my microphone just so you know. It's simple, family of God. As you look at all these different churches that I've stuck up here on this slide, you have every kind of imaginable teaching that this is what ministry is. And they embody all kinds of human characteristics and qualities. Nothing Jesus did or said could be pointed back to anything that had to do with mankind as we know it. It was all from heaven. Because he taught forgiveness of sin. He taught do good to those who spitefully use you. He taught bless those who persecute you. He taught the exact opposite things that our world holds dear. And so Jesus in this passage defines what real ministry is. Ministry according to Jesus. And there's some special relationships. You see that here in verses 1 and 2. As he says to the disciples, it's impossible that no offenses should come. Look, it is impossible for you to believe on the real Jesus Christ and not offend people. It's impossible. You cannot do it. You're going to offend people. And so Jesus makes the case, look, it's better that you should offend people and tell them the truth than not offend them and lie to them so that they're lost forever. And then he makes the opposite case. He said, so if you have some other gospel and people basically love it, you're an offense to God. And look, I'd rather offend a few people, though I don't really want to do that. That's not my goal. And tell them the truth than offend God by telling someone a lie that they're okay in some other form of salvation experience. And so God says there's a special relationship that we have in ministry. You see, the Pharisees had been trying to trap Jesus. It actually goes all the way back to chapter 14. If you read this passage, if you go all the way back to the beginning of chapter 14, you can see what the Pharisees have been trying to do. They're trying to trap Jesus into saying things that are wrong. It began at a a Sabbath meal there in Perea. and, And as that invitation to dinner was given, it was actually a plot to ensnare Jesus. How come you and your disciples don't keep the Sabbath? What's going on with that? I mean, here's what ministry is all about. It's about law-keeping. Brothers and sisters, if ministry is about law-keeping, we're all lost. Amen? Because not one of us in here is going to be very good at keeping the law for a very long time. We don't do good with the Ten Commandments, much less the rest of the 614 little tidbits and components of the Levitical law. Not going to happen. Jesus had spoken to him. He says, look, here, let me, let me conclude this by saying, look, here's a story of this rich man and Lazarus. And they, they got the point. You see, everybody thought that the rich man could buy his way into heaven. And if he lived a basically moral life, 
and he did good things, that somehow he'd have a privileged place in the hereafter. And here you got this beggar, Lazarus, who sat at this man's gate begging for scraps of food from his master's table, and somehow the beggar ends up in paradise, and the rich man ends up where he didn't think he'd ever go. So his focus is now on that life of ministry, that special calling that we have. Look, we need God's help, amen? We absolutely need God's help. Nobody can get there without the Lord Jesus. And so ministry isn't a job. It's not about rules. It's not about regulations. It's not about you know, some Gnostic understanding that one might have about things that are above everyone else's pay grade. And so Jesus is beginning to explain to the disciples, look, you're going to be in all kinds of danger. People are going to come after you. They're going to call you bigoted. They're going to call you narrow-minded. They're going to try and tell you that all roads lead to heaven. They're going to try and preach another gospel. You stay the course. You be steadfast and immovable. You see, because... What we do in this life, it's a battle, amen? I don't know if anybody else got, you know, pounded on while you're driving home from service this morning, but I know I did. So I'm driving home, the enemy's going, well, that was a failure. That was a flop. Why don't you find something else to do? Nobody likes you anyway. It's the way the, that's the way the devil works. This simple gospel message. You really think people got saved? Of course, the answer to that, yes, I do. And get thee behind me, Satan. But it's a battle. You see, because most of us would like if there were some other way. If every person who believes anything earnestly was actually saved. But every person who believes things earnestly isn't necessarily going to be saved. They need to believe the one thing earnestly in order to be saved. And that that there is one name under heaven whereby men may be saved. And it is at the name of Jesus that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, that's the information that we have to get out. And people try and get sidetracked on all kinds of things. You see, Jesus was not the first church of Fluffy. He he didn't make everybody feel good about their particular version and brand of sin. He confronted stuff all day, every day. He did that for the most part when people were genuine in a very, very kind and loving way. But when it came to false religion, Jesus absolutely took names. He called the Pharisees a brood of vipers. That's not, a, you know, that's not one of those things that really makes you popular. He called them a bunch of snakes. He, he said, you guys are like whitewashed sepulchers. Now, I don't know about anybody calling you a crypt keeper, but he said, you guys are like a bunch of whitewashed sepulchers. Oh, you look great on the outside, but inside of you, 
It's not truth. It's dead men's bones. You see, where Jesus actually got all upset in a righteous way was with false religion, with heresy, with something that wasn't the truth that would damn men's souls. In fact, he said to the Pharisees, he said, look, you haven't been able to keep these laws. You've been trying to force these things on everyone else, and neither you nor your fathers have ever been able to do it. So what's up? You see, ministry, according to Jesus, is about Jesus. And so Jesus emboldens the disciples to stand strong and preach the truth of who Jesus is. As he says, look, it's impossible that that stumbling blocks are not going to come. The disciples had to be prepared. They were going to have traps set for them. It's amazing to me. I I, kind of... Well, I have to tell you, I kind of take a little bit of a delight. We have a, we have a Jehovah's Witness Kingdom Hall a couple of streets over from us. And every once in a while they come around and they're nice, lovely, floor-length dresses and wearing their suits with their Watchtower Bible and Tract Society paperwork. And Connie got to deal with them last time, but Sometimes I like to just go out and talk to them. I just tell them, and you know, they get tweaked. They get seriously bent, all worked up. Had one guy call me a heretic. (laughs) I said, that's funny coming from you. (laughs) Sometimes you just got to tell it like it is. I asked him, I said, who uses that Bible you got besides you? Oh, that's because the one you have has been, it it got, uh, you know, there's a lot of problems with that. I said, really? I said, do you know anybody in the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society that actually has a degree in Near Eastern languages? Well, no, that's not important because it's divine. I said, divine according to who? He said, well, you know, it's all about the name of Jehovah. And I said, really? Then how come the first word that's used for God in your Bible is wrong? It says Elohim. It doesn't say Jehovah. I said, well, it means Jehovah. I said, no, it doesn't. It means Elohim. It means God in more than two persons. Well, it means, no, it doesn't mean Jehovah. And so we went round and round for a while. And I said, so you're trying to tell me that in John 1, 1, if God, God was, has a split personality then, right? Because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he said, it doesn't say that. It says the Word was a God. I said, no, it doesn't. You, you see, there's a false narrative that groups like that put out, and Jesus is saying, you've got to stand strong. You've got to tell people the truth. You can't cave in. You can't go, well, you know, they're, maybe they're kind of saved. You're either in or you're out. You're either saved or you're not saved, and we need to stick to it. That's the story for us as believers. And that's why Jesus says, but woe unto them from whom those offenses come, especially children. It's a terrible thing in the eyes of God to keep kids from coming to Jesus. You tell them the truth. We have a battle in our culture. 
We have a battle with media. We have a battle with Hollywood. We have a battle with the world of music, the world of fashion, the humanistic teachings of men. We have a battle with our educational system, trying to tell people that Jesus is not the way and the truth and the life. And yet Jesus himself said that's exactly who he is. And so we need to be careful, family of God, because these things creep in subtly into our lives. And before you know it, what you want to believe becomes what you do believe. We're looking at it changes. Mr. Greg and I were talking earlier today. We're looking at changes in our society that are unprecedented. These are not little marginal issues where one might be able to honestly say there's some room for disagreement. God defined marriage. And he defined that between one man and one woman. And yet we see in the paper, we see in the news, we see on the internet every single day people caving in and saying, well, you know, it's just a different time. Then what you're really saying is that God was wrong in the past. If God's ever been wrong, we're all in trouble. He's not ever been wrong. And so he defined what marriage looks like. And yet, we have the White House lit up in a rainbow flag and people thinking that that's the best thing that's happened since VE Day, the end of World War II. People are going to challenge your Jesus. You need to stand strong. We rely on spiritual resources in ministry, not carnal ones. That's why Jesus said, take heed to yourselves, for if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. He sins against you seven times. You see, he turns to the question of forgiveness. Who can forgive sin? Sometimes people come to me and say, you know, I I want to pray so I can have forgiveness. We'll just talk to God. They're like, well, I I want you to pray. I said, my prayer is no better than yours. Matter of fact, yours is better than mine when it's your sin. You can go direct. Jesus Christ died. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive your sin and to cleanse. 1 John 1, 9. I just tell him, straight up. The issue of forgiveness got settled at the cross of Christ. You can go straight. The veil's torn. You don't need a high priest. You don't need any priest. You don't need anybody to go get forgiveness for you. You can go get that yourself. All you got to do is ask. And oh, by the way, God wants to forgive you because he's gracious and kind. He's not willing that any should perish. And so his plan is good and it's sufficient. And so Jesus is talking with his disciples and he just turns this seemingly odd corner And which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep, it says in verse 7, will will say to him when he's come in from the field, come and at once sit down and eat. He starts talking about something that's just out of the ordinary for someone who's a master and someone who's a servant. But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper? Gird yourself and serve me until I've eaten and drunk and afterwards you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded of him? I think not. And you so likewise, when you have done all the things which are commanded, say, 
We were unprofitable servants, and we have done that which was our duty to do. You see, Jesus is putting it back on him. He said, look, after this lengthy word encounter with them, he's warning the disciples, he said, look, don't be deceptive. Look, you're, you're doing what you've been told to do by your father. That's what we need to do. That's what we as children of God should be doing. No master in ancient times would dream of allowing a bond slave to take priority over him. That wouldn't have happened. The slave couldn't take any credit for that which he was doing in his master's service. That was his duty. That's what we should do. He's not going to expect any special consideration. Look, as believers in Christ Jesus, we have an obligation to serve the Lord. So much so that Jesus said, look, this is how you define who's great in the kingdom. He who is the servant of all. That's the definition. Jesus points this characteristic out. He says, look, you need to be forgiving and you need to serve. People are going, wow, that's not what Pharisees do. That's not what the religious elite were doing. They were busy fault-finding, telling people they couldn't be forgiven unless they went through them, and that there was no possibility of being in a relationship, and if you were a servant, there was something wrong with you. You see, Jesus flipped the whole world upside down. He said, one who is in ministry is first the servant of all. That was revolutionary. That's something that, you know, you, you sign it. Hey, would you like to be the servant of everybody you come in contact with? People are going, well, no, not really. Maybe I could skip that part. It's a blow. It's like, I, I want to be on top. I want people to recognize me. And so Jesus was saying, look, ministry, according to me, is that you serve. Not that you be served. And so don't get that part wrong. Get that part right. What Jesus was saying, look, it isn't about religious activity. It's not whether you have these bits and pieces and parts all correctly assembled. It's about whether you've received forgiveness of your sin and whether you're willing to serve other people no matter what it costs you. That's real ministry. You know, we talk to, to young men in ministry, you can very quickly determine which ones are actually going to be in it for the long haul and which ones are in it because they think that it's a means to an end. The ones that sign up and show up and are at almost everything and are willing to do anything and they don't care who knows about it, those are servants. But the ones who are looking for the accolades, the best seat in the house, so to speak, God's got some work to do in their lives. So Jesus said, ministry is about serving. Ministry is about you dying to self. Ministry is about you picking up your cross and following the Lord. Service and ministry is a rare privilege, family. 
That's what we should all be looking for is a privileged position of serving. Saying, God, I'll be a doorkeeper. I'll pick up trash. I'll clean back. I'll do whatever. Anything you ask me for you, king, I'll do. You saved me. You forgave me. You brought me near. You're going to take me home to heaven. Anything you want me to do, that's what I'll do. That's ministry. Not trying to figure out what group of aliens came from what spaceship on what planet. That's not ministry. It's a blow to our spiritual pride because there's nothing to figure out. It's a crazy thing. There's nothing to dig into in that sense. We simply serve an awesome God. And we do it with the whole heart. And I'll just tell you, the fact that God would use any of us for any reason is pretty much a miracle, isn't it? Think about it. Would you choose you? I wouldn't choose me. I wouldn't. I'd, I'd have my eyes to and fro on the earth, and I'd, I could guarantee I can find somebody better than me. More gifted than me. Definitely with more hair than me. Younger, brighter, somebody without a, any issues. Probably find somebody like that. And yet God loves us so much that he allows us to serve. Allows us to be part of his ministry. It's crazy. We should bless the Lord because of that. We should encourage others because of that. We're honest about what we bring to the table. It's not much. And so ministry is about serving. Loving people. Loving God. Being thankful. Being grateful. And encouraging others to do the same. It's pretty simple. It takes a lifetime to grow into all the little subtleties of the things that the Lord would want to do in our lives. But the simplicity of ministry is this. There's only one Lord, and his name is Jesus. Everybody bows to him. The rest of us are servants. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for this time in your word. And Lord, ministry is simple. It's not complex. And yet we make it complex at times. And we just ask God that, that you would work in our presence here tonight. Lord, I want to pray for those that maybe they've had that wrong view that somehow ministry is an exalted position above other people and God, it's not. And so we pray for humility. Pray that you'd break down pride and take care of that flesh that's so easily welled up in us. Fathers, we draw our time tonight together to a close. Pray that you would move in our midst to just encourage and strengthen and build up. That by your spirit, Lord, you draw men to yourself, you draw women to yourself, that you would raise up giftedness in this body to accomplish all things for which you have created this church. Pray that there'd be no lack and no want Lord, that we would consider it a privilege to be a gatekeeper in your house.
a doorkeeper, someone who's just thankful to be in. She'd give us joy in serving you. We'd find pleasure in doing the simple and the little things. We keep it simple, God. That our relationship has always been about what you did for us, not what we can do for you. And so, Lord, bless us, anoint us, touch us, fill us, strengthen us, God, to serve you. We pray these things in Christ's name. God's people said, Amen. Amen. Going to have some pastors come forward. Going to sing a couple more songs. If you need prayer, maybe you've been struggling with your own self-worth tonight. Maybe you thought God can't use you. Maybe you believe there's something else that gets you into the kingdom other than being a simple recipient of God's grace. And you want to talk to somebody about it, we'd be happy to do that. Maybe you got some burden you just simply want to share and have it prayed for. We'd love to do that as well. We're going to sing a couple of songs and then we'll dismiss you. But if you need prayer, come on forward. We'd love to spend some time at the table of grace with you. Amen.